Hey y'all, and welcome to In Killing Color. I'm your host, Kendra, and I'm here to tell you all about true black crime. I wanna bring the light the unheard and push down stories of black serial killers, lesser known murderers, and true tales of crime scene cleanup. The danger in ignoring black victims and perpetrators is not only in the devaluation of black life, but also in ignoring systematic oppression that makes black people more vulnerable to violent crime and less likely to receive justice. I'm not saying let's celebrate black crime, but let's just bring some light to it and let the people know what's really happening. True crime is horrible. Luckily, I'm not. Here we go. These are their stories. Hey y'all, and welcome to another episode of In Killing Color. My name is Kendra, and I am here to introduce you to True Black Crime. Everybody listened to the episode last week, and I'm very excited about that. I am very excited about that. Let me give you a little deep. It's very exciting. <laughs> but... You know, we try not. I try not to be doing too much because it's true crime. But at which point, I just want you to feel like you're talking to the homies about it. So today, we're going to talk about the second episode is going to be seriously serial. We talked about that the first episode. So now we're on the third episode of the show. But we're talking about seriously serial. So that's number two. Today, we are going to talk about a man named Paul Drusseau. I had to look it up because it's giving like Creole. I didn't know how to say it. I had to look it up. Paul Drusseau. Okay. So get ready. Get your shit together. Let's get to it. Around 10.30 p.m. on January the 1st, 2003, family members of 19-year-old Nikia Chanel Kilpatrick went to her Spanish host apartments in Jacksonville, Florida to check on her. Nobody had heard from her in a few days, which was highly unusual, but, you know, it was the holiday season, so, you know, you would figure you would hear from your people around that time. When the family members came to the house, they were surprised and kind of pressed to see her two-year-old son banging on the window like he was looking for help now as a family member and you're close with your people if you pull up at a family member's house and you see that little kid like yum 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 knocking on the front door <laughs> you know it's some uh, something going on something going on um when they came in the apartment they smelled something they smelled something and it totally overwhelmed them and they knew that something was wrong. Everybody that listens to true crime and they know that if you smell something, something's not right. If it's a smell, there's some bullshit. 
basically. <laughs> Nikia was nowhere in sight. They looked for her everywhere, but they couldn't do anything. As they walked through the apartment, they found Nikia's 11-month-old son crawling on the floor. So there was a two-year-old at the window, and there was an 11-month-old crawling through the floor. Then, at that point, they discovered Nikia's decomposing remains lying in one of the bedrooms. She had been bound and strangled to death with a cord, and then, of course, they called the police. Investigators went through an extensive search through the home and all the surroundings. Soon afterwards, Nikia's body was removed and taken to the coroner. The medical investigation later revealed evidence pointing to Nikia has obviously been um, sexually assaulted and murdered up to 48 hours before the discovery of her body. So if you think about it, it's like her kids... Her two kids were in the house for 48 hours before anybody came to check on them and found them. So you have little kids like tooting around the house for 48 hours. Hmm. Further examination of the body revealed that she had been six months pregnant at the time of her death. So she had a two-year-old. She had another little boo, and she was pregnant when she got killed. Although Nikia's two small children were unharmed, they suffered from malnutrition and dehydration, as well as the trauma of being confined with their mother's dead body. According to the First Coast News, the boys managed to survive by eating dry food from the kitchen, and they were put in the care of Nikia's family. Investigators were able to collect vital physical evidence from the murder scene, yet the evidence did not lead to the identity of the murder. Police were confident that the murder was not the killer's first because some of the aspects of the crime scene appeared way too organized. Everything was way too in order, like y'all know. Within approximately one month, three Let's count them. One, two, three more bodies would be discovered that would be attributed to the same exact killer. Outside of that, the three other murders, including that of another unborn child, will be added to the list, totaling a number of eight victims. It quickly became clear that Jacksonville had a serial killer on their hands. So, you know... They'd be like, oh, you murdered one person, you a murderer. Just a murderer. But I feel like with the number, you have to have killed, like, at least three people to be a serial killer. Like, right? Like, serial, multiple. You can't just kill, like, one person, but like, you're a serial killer. No. You're going to have to kill, like, at least two, three, four, five, six, seven people <laughs> to be a serial killer. Anyway... 20-year-old Shonda Denise McAllister was an independent and hardworking girl. She was ready to live her life, have a good life, successful, whatever. She worked as a certified nursing assistant and attended school in hopes of one day climbing the ladder within the medical field. However, all of her dreams were cut short by the hands of a ruthless killer. Of course. 
On January 10th, 2003, Shonda had been found strangled to death with a cord in her Jacksonville apartment. In many ways, Shonda, Shonda, Chandra's death, I'm sorry, bore marked similarities to Nakia's murder. Like Nakia, there was evidence of sexual assault. Rewind. There were similarities of sexual assault on both victims, and they had been bound in a similar manner. Also, like Nakia, she had been pregnant at the time of her death. So, homegirl was pregnant. This homegirl was pregnant. Somebody's out here killing pregnant girls. Investigators suspected that Chandra and Nakia died at the hands of the same killer, which makes logical sense. Investigators also linked another previous murder to that of Chandra and Nakia. On December 19th, 2002, police discovered the remains of 18 year old Nicole L. Williams. According to the union staff writer Veronica Chaplin, Williams had been found wrapped in a light blue blanket in a ditch on Sotel Drive in Jacksonville. It was suggested that she was murdered in a local hotel. Nicole had been bound and strangled just like Shawanda and Nakia. There was also evidence of sexual assault on her as well. Moreover, investigations revealed that DNA taken from the assault matched samples taken from all three victims. There was little doubt that the same killer was responsible for all the deaths of all three women. Three at this point. And also two unborn kids. So it's technically like five. Three women, two unborn kids. On February 5th, 2003... A construction crew cleaning out a vacant lot on New Kings Road in Jacksonville made a gruesome discovery. Workers found the remains of 17-year-old Giovanna Tarika Jefferson in a ditch. She had been missing since January 20th, 2003. The police were immediately called to the scene. Shortly after they arrived, they discovered the remains of another young woman another young woman six feet away from Giovanna's body the young woman was later identified as 19 year old mother of two Sarita Ann Cohen and she's been missing since Jan well sorry she's been missing since February the 4th Ron Word of the Associated Press reverted that Evidence suggested that the girls' hands had been bound behind their backs. There was also evidence that the girls had been sexually abused prior to their abuse. However, one of the most vital clues of the investigation was revealed when witnesses claimed to have seen both Giovanna and Sarita with a cab driver prior to their disappearance. Ward further stated in his article that the cab driver clue, there was a man and his name was Paul Drusso. Paul Drusso was born on August the 11th, 1970. And he was born in Beaumont, Texas. In 1970, he moved in with his mother's family in LA 
after his father deserted them, he said, I'm not doing this. This is not what we about to do. I'm out of here. Little else is actually known about Drusso's childhood, which obviously with a lot of black serial killers, we don't know nothing about the childhood. You get the adulthood, you get the murder, and that be that. Which is also a huge problem because, like, why don't we know nothing about how they grew up, how they looked, how they smelled, whatever. Anyway, Paul was a six foot six man. It's pretty tall. He was light-skinned. He was giving facial structure. He was doing a lot, but at which point, he was not hitting on nothing. They say that he murdered two women, seven, seven women. And he also murdered a couple in Germany, but the German um, authorities suspect that he can, he did some things, but they can't prove it. So... He was there in the army during the early 1990s. Typically, Drusel would gain the victim's trust, enter their homes, tie their hands, rape, then strangle them. So for me, it's giving BTK killer. I know y'all know what the BTK killer is. Bind, torture, and kill. So I think that Paul was kind of like that but it was like a bts bind rape oh bts bind rape and suffocate you know he was doing a lot and all of his victims were known to be young single black women paul was born in beaumont texas in 1970 and then he moved with his mother's family in la after his dad left them Little else is known about his childhood. After graduating from high school, 19-year-old Paul found himself working as a grocery store security guard. And then that's when the shit starts. His first offenses as an adult took place on December 18, 1991 and January 21, 1992 for carrying a concealed firearm in California. In 1992, I'm just going to start calling him Paul because his last name like kind of does a lot. It's giving very much tongue tied and I don't want to do it. So in November 1992, Paul enlisted in the U.S. Army and he was stationed in Germany where he met a girl named Natasha who would later become his wife. They were married in 1995 in Las Vegas. And in 1996, they were transferred to Fort Benning, Georgia. On March 13th, 1997, Paul was arrested for kidnapping and raping a young woman. <sighs> like, but Paul, I just don't, I don't know. However, in August of that same year, he was cleared of those charges soon after he was found in possession of stolen goods he was court-martialed in january 99 he was found guilty and he was dishonorably charged 
dishonorably discharged from the army. Paul and his wife then moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where they had two daughters. We're not going to name them because I didn't want to look it up and I'm not about to talk about no kids. So that's that. It was during that time period where he committed most of his murders. He struggled to keep jobs, he struggled to make ends meet, and the couple would often have fights over finances, like most married people do. In 1999, the police advised Paul's wife on how to, basically how to um, file a restraining order because he was doing a lot. He was giving abuse. He was choking her, he was slapping her. And the police was like, hey, this is what you need to do to keep this nigga, sorry, keep him off you, okay? So, in September and October of 2001, Paul spent 48 whole days in jail for a domestic battery. So, you beat your wife and all you gotta do is 48 days. Sounds pretty awesome, right? No. Paul still managed to hold various jobs during that time. So in 2001, he was hired as a school bus driver and an animal control worker, despite being a convicted felon. Let me just go back. Um, He was a felon and they hired him as a school bus driver. He was convicted of rape. He was convicted of battery, but they hired him as a school bus driver. Somebody probably need to talk to the school district because this ain't it. In 2003, he worked as a taxi driver. And that is where he came in contact with most of his victims. So they said that the Gator City Taxi Company, where he worked for, did not run a background check on him, but they pawned it off on the city of Jacksonville, saying that they were the ones who were supposed to do the background check. But either way, nobody did the background check, nobody clocked the T, and he got a job driving a school bus and then driving a taxi. Neighbors and friends describe Paul as a womanizer, and they said he was lewd. I'm sure everybody knows what that means, but basically that means he was a piece of shit. He often said that he asked young girls when they wanted to make a flick with him. Now, when I hear the word make a flick, I mean like, Flick means make a video while you're doing some things you probably shouldn't be doing. Take a flick means take a picture. So if you're going to make a flick, you're doing something out of pocket. If you're going to take a flick, they're just going to take a little piece of picture. But Paul wasn't trying to take no pictures. Okay. So a witness said that Paul was hitting on a girl that appeared to be around 13 or 14 years old. So here's a married man with two daughters, two daughters, driving in a cab wanting to make flicks with his customers. So of course he got acquitted 
for the rape charges he had before. But around that time, the new body of 26-year-old Tracy Habersham was found on September 7, 1997 in Fort Benning. She had been missing for 48 hours and was last seen leaving a party. She had been raped and strangled to death with a cord. At that point, it's giving very much B-R-S. That's his name, B-R-S. But Paul was not a suspect at that point, but DNA would later tie him to the crime. And then at some point, he confessed to it later on in life. In 1999, Drusso, Drusso, Paul raped and killed 24-year-old Tyresa Mack in her apartment. So this is the case that gets him clocked. Tyresa Mack. Witnesses said they saw saw him leave her apartment carrying a TV. So he killed her. And he also like, let me go ahead and get this TV too because... We need TV at the house. In 2001, he was arrested for raping a young woman in Jacksonville. He spent 30 days in jail and received two years probation. On December 19, 2002, 18-year-old Nicole L. Williams was found wrapped in a blue blanket at the bottom of a ditch in Jacksonville. She had been reported missing two days earlier. So I'm like literally sitting here like telling you all these people. So at this point, we're at like four people. So anything after three for me is giving serial killer. Eight days later, 20-year-old nurse's assistant, Shawanda Denise McAllister, was also pregnant at the time of her death. So that makes four pregnant girls. She was raped and strangled in her Jacksonville apartment. The murder scene was literally identical to that of Kilpatrick. She was killed on Drusso's first day of driving a cab for Gator City. Her body was found the next day. The next two victims were 17-year-old Giovanna Jefferson and 19-year-old Sarita Cohen. Their bodies were found close to each other in a ditch next to a construction site on New Kings Road in Jacksonville on February the 5th. Police estimated that Jefferson was murdered around January 20th and Cohen was killed 10 days later. Witnesses recount having seen the last two victims with a taxi driver fitting Paul's description. And like I said earlier, I don't think you're going to miss Paul. Paul was every piece of six foot six. Like, I'm trying to describe what he looks like because, I mean, obviously I'm going to post a picture, but he was kind of cute. Kind of like Richard Ramirez, but we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Look it up. Look what he looked like. Richard Ramirez, Paul, Drusseau. They're giving looks. According to the Paul Drusseau timeline, according by the Jacksonville Sheriff's Department and the state's attorney, Paul was then arrested at that time and sentenced to one month in jail and two years probation for the June 2001 rape of a Jacksonville woman. He was then arrested again for physically abusing his wife because the whole time he was married with two daughters. 
Let me rewind that so you can get it. Whole time he was married with a wife and two daughters. Yeah. Paul's file, his criminal file, expanded more than anybody ever knew. And then in April 2002, he was arrested for burglary, although he was later acquitted for the charge. Of course, he had a super long police record. However, as a convicted felon, he had no difficulty finding work. He was literally always able to get a job. Like, nowadays, it's like, oh, you're a felon? Nah. But apparently back then, I guess they needed needed jobs. So during the time where he was a cab driver, it was believed that Paul had become acquainted with many of his victims. At the time of their murders, Paul was already a leading suspect in an investigation due to his outstanding police records and clues linked to him to some of the other victims. One of the most important clues came from Giovanna's mother. According to the First Coast News, dated back on June 18, 2003, Giovanna was last seen getting into a cab driven by a man named D. When Giovanna did not come home that night, her aunt called her phone, and the phone was answered by the driver. The phone was answered by the driver. The driver told the aunt that he would return Giovanna soon, and she never came home. Worried about her daughter, Giovanna's mom went to the cab company to talk about some man named D who had driven her daughter. They quickly learned that the driver was Paul Drusso, and the clue was a very important lead. However, the Jacksonville Sheriff at the time, Nat Glover, said that there was not enough evidence yet at the time to charge him. So at that same time, the strains of an unhappy relationship had taken their toll on a couple. After approximately eight and a half years of marriage, Paul and his wife, Natasha, separated in January of 2003. She and the couple's two daughters moved into another house in Jacksonville. And according to Dana Treen, Paul continued to live in the house that was once their whole family home on Patterson Avenue. However, he spent the majority of his available time at his wife's new house so he could hang out with the kids. On February 6, 2003, during one of his visits to the wife and kids, the police came and uh, took Paul to jail. Initially, he was not charged in any of the murders, although he was considered a key suspect. Instead, he was arrested for a violation of his probation from the 2001 rape case. While he was in jail in the Duval County Jail, investigators continued to get all the evidence they could linking Paul to the murders. It didn't take long for them to get the exact information they need to lock him up. During the investigation, police began to find clear links between Paul and the deaths of Kilpatrick, one, Williams, two, McAllister, three, Jefferson, four, Cohen, five. According to newsforjacks.com, evidence including DNA sample matches, fiber analysis, cab, and cell phone records could be traced to the victims and Paul all at the same crime scene. 
Some of the evidence included the fibers from a blanket in which Nicole Williams was found wrapped in, which were later matched to those found in Paul's house. Furthermore, DNA samples taken from the crime scenes and victims matched samples obtained from Paul. So, it was giving, I found fibers, matching DNA, I don't know if it was blood, semen, blah, 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 I don't know. But, jewelry also belonging to Sarita and Giovanna was found during the search of Paul's, (laughs) found in Paul's car, his cab car. And cell phone records from the two girls show that they called him prior to their disappearance. Also, the Times Union staff writer Veronica Chaplin states that a blank surveillance tag showed that Shawanda was taking money out of the ATM on the day she died. Allegedly, Paul's cab was in the background while she was getting there getting the coins. One of the unique characteristics that linked the murders was that most of the cases, they were all the same MO. Bind, rape, strangle. So that's why I said it was like BRS. Not like BTK, but basically the same shit. News for Jax also stated that the killer used cords such as extension and coax cables as a ligature around their necks. Sheriff Nat Glover stated that the killer fashioned the cord into a peculiar slipknot during the strangulation of the women. I don't know what a peculiar slipknot is. If y'all want to look it up and clock and see what it looked like, y'all can do that. But guess what? I'm not going to do that because I don't want to see it. I don't. The evidence increasingly supported the investigation's whole case against Paul. Finally, on June 17, 2003, he was charged with five counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of Nikia Kilpatrick Shawanda McAllister, Nicole Williams, Sarita Cohen, and Giovanna Jefferson. Paul was also faced with two counts of child abuse against Nikia's two small kids, because y'all remember them, the two kids that was in the house, who were left alone in the apartment for up to two days with the decomposing remains of their mother. Like, you can only imagine, like... But they're young kids, so I don't know if they really was able to, like, clock what was happening. But, like, your mama did, and y'all tooting around the house trying to figure out what's going on. It was a lot. Like, I don't know. It was a lot. Shortly after Paul's arrest, he was linked to yet another murder in Columbus, Georgia, that took place several years earlier when he was in Fort Benning. In September 97... Tracy Habersham went missing after she went to a party at um, Fort Benning's NCO Club. A couple of days after her disappearance, a man walking his dog found her nude body in a ditch alongside the area where she kind of grew up. She had been strangled, of course. So bind, rape and strangle, that was his thing. This murder case remained unsolved for years until after Paul was arrested in 2003. So she was dead in 97 and it didn't even get solved till 2003. According to a June 19th, 2003, First Coast, New, First Coast, I said every wrong, First 
Coast News article, the profile of Habersham's murder was similar to the deaths of the five Jacksonville victims, promoting a further analysis on the case. DNA samples from Tracy's body were obtained and compared with samples taken from other murders. Investigations quickly learned that the same person who was responsible for the deaths of the five Jacksonville women and two unborn children was the same exact person responsible for Tracy's murder. According to Fox News, the authorities stated that most of the women had been sexually assaulted. Now, here's like here's my thing, like like you're going to murder somebody. Okay, you have that in your head. Like you you're going to do what you got to do. But like you was kind of like decent looking. Like did you have to did you have to do all that? I I don't I just don't feel like you had to do all that and then just strangle them afterwards. According to Fox News, the authorities stated that most of the women had been sexually assaulted. However, they were not revealed if Tracy had also been sexually abused. Ron Word of the Associated Press wrote that warrants for Paul's arrest in connection with Tracy's murder were pending in Georgia. It was also suggested that the article, in the article, that if Paul was found guilty of the Florida murders, it was likely he would never be directly tried for the murder of Tracy. Okay. All right. So, Paul was charged with five counts of murder on June 17, 2003. On December 13, 2007. Y'all heard that, right? He was charged on 2003. He was sentenced in 2007. So, to like four years. Four years to get it together. But, listen to what I'm saying. On December 13th, 2007, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection for only the murder of Tyresa Mack. Only. As of August 18th, 2003, he was still a resident on Florida's death row at Union Correctional Facility. In January 2007, Paul's death sentence was overturned by the Florida Supreme Court. The jury that sentenced him was split at 10 to 2. And in the high court, the split decision was actually unconstitutional in capital sentencing. But since then, the state law has changed to require a unanimous verdict, including some cases retroactively. And of course, his was one of those. He was resentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole on December the 10th, 2021, after they had the same exact split from before, 10 to 2, in favor of another death sentence. So, at the end of the day, Paul only got life. He didn't get a death because there was two people that thought he didn't need to die. I don't, I've always been kept out of jury duty because it was always a, you don't need to go. But in this case and these type of things, I'm confused what the two are doing too. 
Girl, he don't need to die. Why not? He killed four ladies. Three unborn babies. I ain't trying to... I'm, I'm not trying to do all that. I'm not trying to, like, pass judgment on people. But, like, mm, he killed four ladies and three unborn babies. Girl, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to go. Since then... The prosecutors have dropped the five remaining charges. Let me rewind that. They have dropped, dropped all remaining five murder charges against him, citing concerns about how the appeal process would affect the cases. The decision opens the door for Paul to be tried in Columbus, Georgia, now for a murder in 1997. And this action doesn't preclude prosecutors from re-indicting Paul on the Jacksonville murders. So it's kind of like they wanted to charge him for one because it was in one state. But if they try to like pull it back and he gets not in trouble for the other ones, he gonna get out of jail and not gonna pay for... What he did with the other ones. According to the assistant state attorney, Jay Taylor, she said, we did not think it was in the best interest of the case to try the remaining counts. All right, so I'm going to put my phone down because my notes are done. But so he really only got charged and has to go to jail for one murder for a Tarika, Teresa. What about the other four ladies? And there are two babies. And then there are other kids that they had on the outside of that. Like what sense? Like I don't I don't understand that. Would he have gotten off at some other point? Or I mean the information was there. The fibers on the blanket was there. It was there. So you're only going to charge him for one murder. So never mind what nobody else's family has to deal with. Never mind the other family having to get their life together and deal with it and raise these children. They have to raise these children and tell these children, hey, yeah, he killed your mama. And your brother you never seen, but hey, he wasn't charged for it. What kind of sense is that? It doesn't make any fucking sense to me. I could be wrong, but it don't make no sense to me. And uh, Paul, I hope that you are dealing with this in the best way you can. And by the best way I can, I mean, like, hope you are suffering from this while you're in jail. Dealing with jail. You're kind of tall, but I don't think you're beating anybody's ass in jail. So, let's think about the four ladies that died. And let's think about their three unborn children that never even got to see the light of day because of this motherfucker. I'm done with this episode for the day. I just wanted to close it on that because, baby, I'm feeling some type of way about this guy. Like, I'm feeling away. I'm feeling away. We will come back next week. 
And I have a really, a really good story. A really good story next week. It's very, you know, I was going to do another one, but I'm doing this one. It's very personal to me. It's about a very close personal friend. And it's, I, I, I don't even really know how to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. This is about my friend, my best friend, my sister. Not my actual birth sister, but this is about my bitch. And we're going to talk about it next week. So, thank y'all for listening this week. Research in the script was written by me. And my name is Kendra, if you don't know. Production was by Sweet Talker Studio. You can follow them at It's the Sweet Talkers on Instagram. Theme song is by Remix Maniacs on Spotify. Do not go and copy my shit. Because I know how y'all do. Also, you can follow me. <laughs> follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At InKillingColor. Everywhere. Website, InKillingColor at WordPress.com. And then, I will see y'all later. Bye.